Good morning. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 3 as we resume our journey here through this book. And because it's the season of Advent, uh, we're going to think about how our passage for today connects to the birth of our Savior, Jesus and at first, I say that because at first glance, as we read this passage, uh, it may not seem like a Christmassy uh, portion of Scripture, not one that we would typically read maybe during Advent, but uh, with a little reflection, I think you're going to see how it connects uh, to Christmas. So Galatians chapter 3, and we'll pick it up in verse 13. Here's the Apostle Paul writing to uh, the churches in the Galatia area, and under the inspiration of God's Spirit, he says these words. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So pause there. Right away, here's one connection to Christmas. Uh, Jesus was born to redeem us, that is, to set us free from the curse we all deserve for breaking God's law. Let's continue on. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, a contract, No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, in other words, after God made the promise to Abraham, 430 years later the law came, The law does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise was made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Referring there to Moses. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, the law, imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Okay, there's a lot here. (laughs) What is he talking about? Okay, well, let me just point out to you one of the basic rules for understanding any writing, uh, but any writing particularly um, that, you know, at first glance we may not really grasp it, We're trying to understand it. So this would apply to any written document, you know, like whether we're talking about the Constitution of the United States or anything. 
One of the basic rules for understanding a piece of writing is what's called the rule of repetition. And what that means is when a writer repeats a word or a phrase, uh, you need to pay attention because that means whatever that is is usually very important for understanding what he's trying to say. It's a, it's a way of emphasizing something. You repeat yourself. So, here in Galatians 3, for instance, the word law is repeated several times. Uh, and that's not surprising, given what the whole book is about. And if you've been with us through our journey, you've, you've uh, probably caught that. If you haven't, uh, you can check out those uh, previous messages on our website, philida.org. Uh, Paul, one of the main reasons Paul wrote Galatians was to uh, correct some serious misunderstandings about God's law. So it's not surprising that that term shows up. But there are, there are two other terms here which are repeated that are especially important for understanding this particular section and seeing how it relates to Christmas. One of those words is the name Abraham. You see that in verses 14, 16, and 18. And the other is the word promise. And some form of that word is mentioned eight times. I don't know if you noticed that, but that word promise shows up eight times in these verses. And that is some serious emphasis. And what that tells us is that Paul really wants us to think about this fact that God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And I think we should start here by just pausing and letting that truth amaze us. That God did that. We're talking here about the creator of all things. We are talking about the one who oversees the galaxies, the one who provides to every one of us life and breath and everything else. Uh, the one who rules over all things for his glory. This one made a promise. In fact, he's made many promises to people, to creatures, to things he made. People like us, uh, fallible people. D does it amaze you? Because I think it should, that God has made promises. Um, he didn't have to do that. You realize that. God's no, not under any obligation to make promises to anyone. And What's even more amazing is that what he has promised is really, really good. I mean, think about this. If the only thing God had promised was that he would judge sin, okay, because he is the all-righteous Holy One, he is the judge, and because he is righteous, he must see that justice is done, ultimately. If the only thing God had promised was that he would do that, and that every one of us who does wrong will receive justice, 
for that. I mean, if that's the only thing he promised, that would be completely understandable, wouldn't it? But that's not the promise Paul's talking about. In fact, this promise is a promise to do good to people when that is the opposite of what we deserve. This promise is good news. That is staggering, if you think about it. And okay, so what is the promise? Who is this guy, Abraham? What does he have to do with us? What does he have to do with Christmas? We have to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Chapter 12 is where we first see this. In Genesis 12, God makes him known to a man named Abram. His name later gets changed to Abraham. And God makes this promise that Paul is talking about here in Galatians 3. Look at it, Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you I will curse. Okay, and here, highlight this. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There it is. There it is. That's the promise that Paul in Galatians tells us finds its ultimate fulfillment in the coming of Jesus to set us free from sin's curse. Jesus is the ultimate descendant of Abraham who was born in a stable, who lived, who ultimately died on a cross and rose from the dead in order to extend this promised blessing to all the families of the earth, Jews and Gentiles both. So think about it, okay? Jesus came, Jesus came, Christmas happened because God was fulfilling a promise he made 2,000 years earlier to a man who didn't ask for it, who wasn't seeking it, and who didn't deserve it. That's why Christmas happened, because God made a promise and he fulfilled his promise. I, I just, you can't overstate how important this promise is. And I, I seriously doubt that Abraham could possibly have understood all of the massive implications of this promise. Because this promise turns out to be way, way bigger than you might first suspect when you read this. Um, I don't know what you think about if you think about God's blessings. I know that for me, typically, uh, I think of God's blessing in very material terms. Okay, so we just had Thanksgiving. We had this holiday where we, we thank God for his blessings. And, and maybe you took some time and counted your blessings and thank God for them. I hope so. Um, but, but often we think of things like, mainly, of things like good health, family, you know, people we love, uh, a, a warm place to live, food, and so on. And, and that's good, because all those things are. They're all blessings from God. But God had so much more in mind when he made this promise. So, you know, God... God's intentions for you, God's intentions for you are so much 
greater than we typically think. Because this blessing, okay, as as Paul unpacks it here in Galatians, think about what this blessing includes. It includes being set free from slavery to sin, from the condemnation that our sins deserve. It inclu- that's what being redeemed means, verse 13. This blessing includes being made completely right with God. Nothing between you and God. Being completely right with Him, enjoying His complete and full approval because of what Jesus did, not because of what you can do. That's packed into that word righteousness in verse 21. And to top it all off, look again at verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Don't rush over that. This is a breathtaking truth. This is saying that Christ fulfilled this promise to Abraham So that we might receive the gift of God himself. His very presence in our lives, which he says he will never take away from us. That's included in this promise. Christmas happened. Jesus came and died in our place to give us all that. I, this is mind-boggling. And, and notice, I, I use the word give. Jesus came to give us this. No, that's the word there at the end of verse 22. So that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. That's another word you don't want to rush over. When it says give, it means exactly that. Okay, we're in the season of giving gifts. So Christmas, you know, we give gifts. You know what a gift is, right? If it's a gift, what isn't it? It's not a payment. It's not a wage. It's not a salary. It's not something you earn. Not if it's a gift. So this blessing, this salvation, this is a gift. And that's the reason Paul brings it up here in Galatians because this is what he's all about. He is giving us yet more evidence that being right with God, if you've been with us through the journey in Galatians, this should sound familiar. If you're new to the book, okay, this is what you've got to grasp. This is what this book is about. This is the main thing, is to show us that being fully right with God, being approved by God, living in relationship with God is entirely a gift that we receive by faith 
It is not a reward we achieve by our performance of God's law. You've got you've to grasp that to get this book and to understand, well, and to have a relationship with God. This is the point. See, the Galatians were getting confused by people who were telling them that they had to keep all of God's laws that God had given to the Israelites through Moses. They had to keep all of those laws in order to experience God's full approval. They were being told something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, believing in Jesus. Okay, faith in Jesus. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But remember this. Remember this. Long before Jesus came, God gave his people his law through Moses. And so you've got to obey it scrupulously in order to earn God's blessing. And I love what Paul does here. What he does here is he basically says, um, you know, you guys aren't going back far enough. Because long before God gave Moses the law, God gave Abraham a promise. And Jesus came to fulfill that promise and give God's blessing to anyone, everyone who puts their faith in him. See, this is, the, this is the point he's making. God's law does not overrule. God's law does not negate his promise. See, God never intended for his law to be used this way, to be used as a way of earning his favor. God always intended, that's what this promise is showing us, God always intended that his greatest blessing that is being approved by him, being completely free from condemnation, being indwelt by his spirit, God always intended for this to be a gift that we receive only by faith in him. Now, I realize the details of Paul's argument here are a bit complex, but don't lose the forest for the trees. The, the main point is absolutely clear. The law upholds the promise. It points to the promise. It does not contradict. It does not overrule. It does not nullify the promise. Why did God do this? Why did God make this promise? Because he didn't have to. And it, he certainly did not have to make a promise that would require his eternal son to be born in a stable to take on humanity and then to, to do what it says in Philippians 2.8, to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Why did God make that promise? I'm going to give you, I'm going to point you to two reasons, and 
I really want to stress this. I'm, I want to give you these reasons, and I want you to think about these reasons, not to satisfy curiosity, not to give us some interesting information. These reasons are here to move us to worship. And so that's why I want to give you these reasons. Let these be reasons that move your heart to worship. Why did God make this promise? He made this promise to make his blessing. Okay, and all that we just talked about, all that that includes, to make his blessing accessible to everyone regardless of what they deserve. You realize, when it comes to being right with God, there's no, we're not in a competition of merit here. It's not like God's taking the top 10% and the rest don't make it. There's no competition here. There's no human achievement here because God has chosen to make his salvation and all that's included in that a gift to be received rather than a payment to be achieved. This unspeakable privilege of Knowing him, of being adopted into his family, of inheriting all the blessings of his kingdom. That privilege is available to anyone. Anyone. There's nobody in this room. I don't, I don't know what you're feeling like this morning. Maybe when you walked in, you felt really insignificant. Or maybe you feel really ordinary. Maybe you feel bleh. <laughs> maybe you just feel, I don't know, maybe you feel like you're too depressed. Or you're too, you're too messed up. You're just too messed up to receive from God, maybe anything, but to, to you know, to say the least, uh, to, to receive complete forgiveness to, to receive the wonder of God's presence, to receive the promise of eternal joy in Christ, you're, you're not too insignificant. You're not, you know, if when I started talking about this, you immediately said, well, that's not me. Yes, it is. It really is. You're not too insignificant, and you're not too great, and you're not too anything. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can have this if you want it. If you want it. Because God made this promise, and Jesus came to fulfill this promise for anyone who will put their trust in him. But to have it, you have to admit you need it. And that's where many go off the rails. That's where the promise breaks down. Not because of anything about the promise, but because we have to admit we need it. And you see that, God in his grace, that's one of the primary reasons God gave us the law. It's not the only reason, but it's a primary reason to show us that our condition, to reveal to us that our condition is absolutely hopeless on our own. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. 
until the offspring should come. Verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. The law imprisoned everything under sin. What is this telling us? It's telling us that you and I can't possibly be good enough. We can't do enough. We can't obey enough to deserve God's favor. You know, I was thinking about this. I don't even live up to my own standards, let alone God's. I sometimes ask people that. I said, do you have standards for how you live? Well, yeah. Do you keep your own standards? No. Haven't met a person yet who said, yeah. We don't meet our own standards, let alone God's. And the law confirms that. You know, one of the things Jesus did when he was here, when he taught us, uh, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he made it very clear that what God's law really requires is a lot deeper than people suspected. And he says, you know, it's not enough just to not go murder somebody. You ever talk to people? This is hilarious, I think. Say, are you a good person? Well, yeah. Well, how do you know? Well, I've never killed anybody. That's good. That's good. But Jesus made it clear that's not enough. That actually hating someone in your heart breaks God's law. He said it's not enough just to to not go out and commit the act of adultery. He said if you lust for someone in your heart, that's breaking God's law. I challenge anybody to read what God actually requires of us and come to the conclusion Yep, I'm good. I'm good. God totally owes me. (laughs) Totally owes me eternal life. Anybody who thinks that either doesn't understand what God's law really requires or they are painfully lacking in self-awareness. Here's a quote, New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce. It's on your note sheet. What the law does is bring to light, and again, this isn't the only thing the law does, but this is one big thing the law does. It brings to light the human, the universal human plight. We are all under sin. Now, if realizing this, men and women look around for a way of deliverance. You see, that's what happens when you're in prison. You look, you look around for a way of deliverance. I got to get out of here. If they look around for a way of deliverance from their plight, they find it in the promise. Far from being against the promises then, the law drives men and women to flee from its condemnation and seek refuge in the promises. Because our condition is absolutely hopeless if we're trying to earn God's approval by our performance of his law. But see, the promise, the promise points us in a very different direction. The promise points us to the promise keeper. The promise fulfiller, who fulfilled it for us. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Two little words, don't miss them. Becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Relying on your performance is hopeless. Relying on Jesus and his performance is faith. And anyone can do that. Anyone.
God has made his blessing accessible to anyone who will rely on Jesus, the promise keeper, instead of on themselves. And that brings us to the second reason God made this promise. Okay, not only to make his blessing accessible to everyone, but to magnify the worth of Jesus, the fulfiller of the promise. See, because the promise points us to Jesus, the offspring of Abraham. That's the point of verses 16 and 19. The law held us under sin until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. So the promise, and actually also the law, point us. They're like signs pointing our attention to Jesus, the one who fulfills the promise, the one who fulfills the law. So think about a sign. Here, I've got one for you to look at. Can you see that? It's a sign that points to Mount Hood and to uh, St. Helens and Adams and uh, the other one. Okay. Now, now if you were to if you were to be there, if you were there to stand there in front of that sign, okay, what does the sign want you to do? It wants you to look at these mountains, right? Isn't that the point? It's pointing you. Look at the arrows. Point you, hey, there's a mountain over here. Hey, there's a mountain over here. It's really tall. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Isn't that what it's saying? So what would you think of somebody who stand there and just went, man, will you check out this sign? Look at this sign. This is amazing. What a beautiful font. What, what incredible graphic design. What an effective use of language. I could just look at this sign all day long. You numbskull. If you look at the sign, instead of what the sign says to look at, you're missing the point. And in fact, you're misusing the sign. That's not what it's meant for. God doesn't want us to keep staring at the sign. God wants us to stare at Jesus and see His beauty, His glory. His goodness, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John and the others saw it, and they wrote it down. They described it so we could see it. Hebrews 12.2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. What are you looking at this Christmas season? What are you looking at? God made this promise to magnify the worth of Jesus. Now we use the word magnify in a couple different ways. Okay, So two different pieces of equipment. One's a magnifying glass. What do you do with a magnifying glass? What do we use that for? That's to make something really tiny big enough so we can see it. it. might be really close to us, but we can't see it. It's too small. The other way we use the word magnifies with a telescope. Now, what are you looking at when you look at a telescope? Something huge, but it's distant, and so we have a hard time seeing it clearly. So it might be the planet Jupiter, which is enormous, but we can't see it. So to magnify Jupiter is not to make it seem bigger than it is, it's to help us see its bigness. Okay, that's what it means to magnify Jesus. His worth 
is not small. It's immense. We just have a hard time seeing it because it seems so far away from the world we live in. But when we look at him in light of this promise, when we think about this promise and how Jesus fulfills this promise and all that he did, we can't even fathom the condescension of God the Son becoming a baby and then living life as a man and teaching. and He took on humanity forever. This is not a temporary gig. And then dying the most agonizing, humiliating death imaginable. When we consider all that Jesus has done to make God's promise real for us, we get a little bit clearer glimpse of His worth. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. He wants you to see more clearly the majesty and the glory of His Son. That is why He made this promise, so that your heart would overflow in worship. God made this promise so that His beloved Son would fulfill this promise for us, extend to us the blessing of this promise, so that we could experience His goodness and our hearts would overflow in worship. That's why we're here. That's why we live. To worship. So, we're going to worship. Let's pray together. Father, this, this promise you have made is, is uh, so magnificent. And you sent your son to fulfill this promise for us because we... There's no other way. There is no other way. Your law makes it so clear. There's no way we can know you apart from you fulfilling this promise on our behalf through Jesus. So Lord, help us. Help us extend this promise to those who need to hear it. Help us grab onto this promise and help us Lord, use us to magnify the worth of your Son. We thank you in his name. Amen.